Welcome to episode 11 of AOCast, a monthly podcast about mental health, live streaming, and how it all intertwines. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Anthony Bean, founder of Geek Therapeutics and author of books such as The Psychology of Zelda, about men's mental health and his professional work in the geek world. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, I stream every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv slash agentorange. Link in the description below. Now, on to the conversation. Absolutely right. Um, you know, perhaps they feel that we don't understand. Just like some women don't like talking to men because they feel men don't understand. Uh, I tend to fall into, I think, a rather unique uh, situation having been raised by my father. Um, I definitely understand men more than women, um, more that mentality. So, uh, and even in, in Randy, you were there at the wedding, you were in the wedding. Um, my maid of honor was a man of honor. My, my best friend, um, camper Chris was stood up by my side, um, along with some bridesmaids, but that was my, my man of honor. Uh, so I definitely tend to be somebody who, um, I guess I understand the male, point of view a little bit better mm-hmm. easier um my dad was a, a man's man you know uh so yeah i i didn't learn all the girly stuff my husband can attest to that no I'm he gonna... cooks he cleans <laughs> i'm gonna I'm i gonna... can do those things i just don't enjoy it <laughs> without actually being a counselor i'm gonna go counselor on you if you don't mind for a second no Go yeah, ahead. Be like, oh God, out, please, yeah. please don't, don't, don't psychoanalyze Go. me. Um, so I know, I know a little bit of your history and obviously you don't have to go into detail or anything when it comes to your dad or, or whatever. Um, but what were his thoughts on mental health? Like given, given where you're I, at now, I'm, I'm curious on what his thoughts were. Yeah, no, my dad actually was very supportive of mental health as far as I knew. In fact, Um, We had counselors come to our home because my mom died when I was 11 and my dad had some struggles uh, because it was unexpected. She died from cardiac arrest and my sisters were 21, 18. I was 11. And here's this man who worked 40 hours a week. My mom was a housewife. Uh, What do you do? (laughs) You know, and I mean, he had the family rally around him, but my dad, um, he did go to counseling. He, we had, again, people actually back, back in the eighties, they used to come to your house. They still do. It's COVID right now. But, um, we did have, uh, at that time, um, social workers, we had pastoral counseling as well. Um, I was put into very specific classes, uh, in junior high to that were kind of counseling type classes, if you will, or like group counseling, they were called skills for adolescents. So while all my classmates took, um, foreign language or like that marriage and family class where you like baby the egg. I did not do those. I never babied an egg. Uh, That's where it all went wrong. (laughs) I never babied an egg. (laughs) This is why I don't have any children. I never babied an egg. (laughs) No, um, but no. So uh, my dad was my, I think my dad was pretty badass. Um, You know, he had his demons, no doubt. My dad, um, he definitely did. And we had a, a bit of a, a bit of a 
tumultuous relationship at times because we're so similar, both very strong minded and, you know, who doesn't have demons. Right. Um, But my dad kept a journal. Uh, I learned from my my sister. uh, My dad actually kept a journal. I didn't know that. Hmm. Um, But my dad would have really awesome conversations with me. In fact, I just saw my sister earlier today and I was talking to her and my niece and I said, you know, we had three different dads. You know, my sisters are a product of my mom and dad raising them. I'm a product of being raised by my dad. Yep. Right. Um, I don't know anything different. So, of course, I have no regrets. And sometimes when someone's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, for what? <laughs> like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. I'm bummed. My mom died. That sucks. But I don't know. I don't know life otherwise. So, you know, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. But, yeah, I learned to work on cars. I learned how to grill a steak and how to season a steak very nice. I have to admit, I don't know if my husband's on listening or if he's just in the house somewhere, but I grill a better steak than he does. <laughs> well, if, he's, if, he, if he doesn't hear that, I'll, uh, I'll let him know later. I'll send him a text. You text him. Yeah. You I'll, text him. I will. <laughs> I do. Um, my, but that was one of the things my dad <laughs> shots fired. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, no, but my, my dad, uh, that was one of the things he actually taught me. He's like, you're going to get a husband one day. You need to know how to grill a steak. Okay. Mm-hmm. And my dad was also a firefighter um, in the state we live in and in a, a pretty large city during some riots back in the late 60s. Uh, and uh, so he was, you know, it was, a, in my eyes, you know, a hero. Uh, he had to quit doing that. And um, he fell through a rough got injured and um anyway ended up uh moving on to becoming an electrician and things like that so he had some heartache and i think he used uh journaling to try and cope with the changes the unexpected changes Mm -hmm. he went through so that's the long and short of my dad and counseling i think my my father I, i believe wholeheartedly um both of my parents would be exceptionally proud of me um and and what i've done with counseling and um, not only that I am a counselor, but I also believe in it. I've gone to counseling. I fired counselors uh, mm-hmm. for falling asleep on me. <laughs> also fired another one for trying to get a job where I work. <laughs> They're oh. more interested in how do I get a job where you are than. Oh, good God. Me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, no. Um, yeah. And I say fired them. I just never rescheduled. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I handled it. And you know, um, so yeah, that's uh, that's my my story I'm, with my my pops. I'm always curious because you know on the topic of mental health for men, it's it's always interesting what our parents went through versus what we're going through versus what our kids are going through, and like general generationally, how mental health is viewed. Because my my grandparents, you know, when they were alive, they had a very different view of mental health than what my parents do and what I do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just as, as I, as I look back in my family, I realize how just honestly, how different this the mentality is of is mental health an actual thing. Is it something that is, um, is it fake? You know, cause w- women are the one who cry, you know, not men, men are, you know, masculine and, and they're, you know, they need to just push forward and be supportive for the family and, and not be weak. Like that is, that's the mentality that I've heard so often 
from the older generations. And, and, it, and I, I don't mean like old people. I mean, older generations, my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents, you know, things like that are the types of things that I've, I've heard so often. And I feel like we're finally getting to a point, be calling old, uh, we're, we're finally getting to a point where we're starting, especially with, with organizations like guardians and people like, uh, you know, Dr. Bean and, and people, you know, and, and not to toot my own horn, but things like this, where we're really starting to push that mental health is a real thing. Like my, my work, they push us to take days off. We have unlimited days off now because they push us to take time off for ourselves to have that mental health and not feel like, Oh, well I'm taking a vacation in a, in a month for a week. And now I have no time off. Like I can take that off and take sporadic days here and there. That's um, incredible. It's amazing. Like, I mean, it, 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 it's always funny because when, when that first happened, I had a few people who said, Oh, well I accrued all of this time and now it's, it's all gone. Like, but it's not gone. You have unlimited time. As long as you're not abusing it, you're good to go. Mm -hmm. You know, I took today off because of, of my schedule the last couple of weeks. And then this week and warrior was like, no, you need to take time off. You know, you need to, to do something for you. So we, we took that time and we went to Ikea and, you know, kind of enjoyed ourselves and built some shelves and came home and just did some things. And it was good. Like I was willing to take that time and actually do something for me, That's which awesome. is, which is not something that older generations tend to, at, at, you know, maybe now they might be able to, but for a while they weren't willing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, because, well, you know, you just need to support your family. Well, I can't support my family unless I'm I'm mentally stable. And I'm even if you say you don't have mental health issues, guess what you do? Everybody has some sort of mental health issues that they just need time for themselves. Mm -hmm. And even if it's minor, it could be major, it could be minor. You need to be able to take time for yourself. Absolutely. And I, I think. One of the things, Randy, that would be really cool, and I don't know if we need to, you know, chat about it now or kind of put it on hold until Dr. Bean gets on with us, is, you know, how do men exhibit mental health, like self-care mental health, right? Women, we get manicures, pedicures, we get our hair done, do some makeup stuff, buy clothes, shoes, um, you know, we do things like that, go out to lunches or dinners right margaritas and chips and salsa back mm -hmm. in the day that was mine um you know that's what women do but i'm curious what do men do for self-care mm -hmm. well, you know it, <laughs> yeah i think um without getting stereotypical because obviously you're going to have that balance between men and women women are going to do you know male things like like for instance yourself being able to go out and work on a car. That might be something that that helps calm you down. You know, somebody like, you know, one of our community members, um, he does woodworking. And yeah. for him, him to be able to go out and, and do his woodworking. Me, you know, I, I used to do it all the time. Not as well, I'm starting to do a little bit more, but I have a busier schedule now. Um, I used to go outside and do uh, yard work. And that was my mm -hmm. me time. That was my, you know, take the calmness in, enjoy myself outside and push forward you know trying to calm my my brain which is hard to do in some cases 
You used to take a lot of pride in cutting your lawn. I, I remember do. that. Do I still you? do. Yeah, we, well, in the fall, so we bought this house in the fall and the, the grass was like, oh, cool. You know, it's a, it's a nice grass. And then the spring came and now it's like all weeds. And we have, uh, basically, it looks like we have permanent snow on the, uh, on the grass because it's all wildflowers that are growing. I'm not happy. <laughs> not happy at all. That's all right. I'll get back. I'll get back to that. So there's there's something that I wanted to mention. Um, so Nate Fu in in chat uh, a few minutes ago said we were talking about um, uh, male versus female therapists and kind of like comfort levels and, and whatever. Um, and and I was actually thinking the exact same thing because he said, funny enough, funny enough, I have always been more comfortable talking with female therapists because I felt the quote boys don't cry and quote ideology from my male therapist when I was young. That's exactly how I felt because it was again, going back to the, you know, new generation versus old generation. Some of the older generation felt that boys don't cry and that when you fall and you hurt yourself, you just get back up and you don't show emotion because emotion is, is not masculine and it's, you know, it shows weakness and men can't show weakness. And there's so much wrong with that. You know, I, agree. I, 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 I think I've had three of, of all my therapists. I think I've had three male therapists and I haven't, I've told you the story about one of them. Um, and, and I've had two <laughs> others uh, besides that person and I can't do it. Like my therapist has to be female because one, I feel more comfortable talking to a female because I feel like they actually, they tend to understand a little bit more about what I'm going through than a lot of men do. Um, even, even with the modern generation, you know, just a lot of what I've experienced, it's, it's rough, mm -hmm. you know, to, to find somebody who really, I feel comfortable talking to and doesn't give me that, you know, oh, well, you just kind of need to get over it. Or you just need to suck it up because you're a man and, and men don't cry. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I know when I work with men, one of the key things, you know, I always hope that comes out of it is just them feeling safe to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. If if they want to cry, cry and, and know that they're in a safe space to do that. Right. Um, I know that when a man does cry and show emotion, you know, I I make sure that, you know, I keep the the floor open, if you will, for them to just express however, whatever it is they need, whether it's through tears or, you know, anger, anger, um, you know, open chair works a lot, actually, with men. It's a gestalt technique. And, you know, back when I used to be in person, because uh, we're all online now, um, but when I used to do therapy in person, you know, if the moment arose, I'd say, they're right there. What are you going to say? You know, and, and it was amazing the passion that would come out, right? Passion, love and anger, passion, right? And, and just the resolution uh, sometimes that people would experience from it. And women were always a little bit more hesitant with it. Not all. Um, I, for one, am somebody who loves open chair. Uh, that is how I resolve a lot of my stuff. I put someone in there. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't know what open chair is. I was about uh, to ask if you could explain it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, open chair technique is where you have a, a blank chair, nobody's sitting there, and whomever it is that you have uh, a consternation with, disagreement with, you put them in the chair. 
and you say to this empty chair anything and everything you need to say. The beautiful thing is it never goes anywhere. It's just between you and the chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is not to ever repeat it to the person, but to get what's inside out, right? The opposite of depression is not happiness or joy. It is expression. Opposite of depression is expression. So when we express ourselves, we let those emotions out, right? Male, female, unidentified, right? For any one of us that applies, doesn't matter, right? Um, so open chair, I think, is a is a a great technique. It's Gestalt theory is used a lot in grief and loss, and a lot of what we experience. I I beat this dead horse and I rebuild it up and glue the ashes back together somehow all the time. I believe a lot of what we all deal with comes back to grief and loss um, at the end of the day. We're grieving the loss of something, trust, um, a person, right? Um, uh, the ability to be vulnerable, you know, a lot of different things. I'll, I'll spare because that was the last two months topic. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think it's really important to find ways to express what it is you're experiencing um, through some type of physical activity, through writing, no matter what gender you identify with mm-hmm. uh, or none at all. Um, being able to express yourself one way or another is, is, you know, very critical. Stress can kill you. It can. It's, it's a silent killer. It's awful. Um, I think I've disclosed in one of our earlier on podcasts, um, my mom dealt with a lot of stress and anxiety and, you know, passed away at 43 from cardiac arrest, mainly from stress that's horrible. Mm-hmm. And it became truly, um, as I grew up a little bit more in life, I became a, a mission of mine to understand stress. Um, I've been impacted negatively by stress. Randy, you remember I ended up with Bell's palsy once, um, from stress. <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> Droopy face oh, yeah. thought I had a stroke. Nope. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, so I've personally been impacted by it affecting my physical health. Uh, and so I take stress and management really seriously um, because I know just how much it can hurt us physically. Yep. And, so, and, and what, you know, Nate said in chat also is bottling up, um, led him to bottling up. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's, you know, be, bottling things up and not expressing it in a proper way and trying to cope with your issues in a proper way you know male female whatever can lead to alcoholism drugs you know anger issues you name it and it's negative it could very well happen you know you hope you don't get to that point but bottling up and not properly expressing those feelings is could very well screw you up and cause a lot more issue in your life than what you could ever want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, there's some great stuff coming in on mm-hmm. chat and I, I love it. Please keep it coming um, through anything you guys want to talk about. Um, please send it through. And, and, you know, when, when Dr. Bean gets here, we'll make sure we circle back to anything we don't yeah. talk about now. Um, but bottling it up, you know, we bottle things up and, and it, that becomes bottling up turns into resentment and resentment stinks 
Um, I'm trying to recall it right now off the top of my head. I can't think of the theorist. It's a couple's couples counselors. Their name is escaping me and it shouldn't be because they're very well known, but they come, they have these, it's called the four horsemen. Uh, anyone who's interested, you Google the four horsemen, um, marriage counseling. It should pop right up or warrior if you're available. Um, or Dr. Bean might even know it too. And I can't believe I'm forgetting it. Anyway, um, but, but they talk about um, that the, these different horsemen and, and how bottling things up and resentment can, can build. And you can't take that stuff back. Once it's there, it's there. And it becomes very difficult um, to manage that stuff too, right? Um, but again, social constructs um, say you can't. Gottman, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I think I need to switch the water. <laughs> you can always count on her to uh, to find it, though. Oh, yes. Thank you, Warrior. Thank you very much. Um, but it, yes, it, finding a way to express yourself, um, because also bottling it up can lead to, um, you know, drugs, alcohol, resentment, um, the stress can, you know, maybe not show externally, but it's affecting you internally. Yep. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm reading chat real quick. Yep. <laughs> ah, uh, Mr. Mr. Clowns 34 says um, th- they bottle everything up um, and they're realizing it's not good for a 17 year old to hold on to all of it. No, you know, it's, we see little kids do this too. Sometimes they push things down and sometimes they're like, Oh, you know, that, that kid's really got a hold of themselves. They know how to handle not, they need an outlet. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's okay. I mean, there's comes a time we need to mind our manners in public and things like that. Sure. Um, but there's gotta be a way to let it out in the end. I like, I have, you know, um, Randy, you mentioned, you know, working on my, my Jeep. Yeah. I loved working on my Jeep. I have a heavy bag too. I can't get to it right now, but uh, the Jeep's in the way. But I, for years, I, I kickboxed and um, I still have my heavy bag out there. And I love that thing. I was actually hitting it last night. Um, but Dan's kayak is now in the way. So <laughs> sacrificed getting to my heavy bag for my husband to have a kayak. Uh, love, love. Oh, no. my God. Um, <laughs> But no, I mean, but it is, that's one of my outlets, right? Self-care is so important. Um, I'm curious if, chat, if you'd like to chime in and just tell us things you do for self-care or things you wish you did, but for whatever reason, don't. Um, I think that'd be, that'd be great to kind of hear from you about that stuff. Okay, so good news, he is ready to go. Yes, I see. <laughs> All right, guys, give me give me just a second. Um, let me go ahead and get him in here. Um, and yeah, give me one second, guys. Does this mean he's left me alone with you guys? I can't tell. Yes. Yeah, you can keep talking to him. Feel free to keep talking. I'm, I'm going to get him in. Hello, chat. <laughs> it's just us now. So really, <laughs> what do you think about uh, Randy? No, teasing you guys. I'm teasing. No, I'm very excited. I got to meet Dr. Bean uh, the other day, and it was great talking with him. I had a chance to check out his website, Geek Therapeutics. Um, 
awesome website, super impressive. Uh, and, and as a clinician, I always enjoy when I see another clinician's work. And um, he had some things on there that even intrigued me. I'm like, hey, might be interested in uh, taking one of those classes. So um, truly um, check the website out. Uh, listen to some of his podcasts. He does this, uh, does podcasts as well. Um, and I'm going to try to keep up to with chat. I read slow, everybody. I read very slow. Um, hello there, Dr. Bean. There we go. <laughs> hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Awesome. I get to switch between uh, video and other stuff. It's going to be great. We're going to make it work. <laughs> 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 We're all used to it. It's it's all right. And at this point, multi-screening, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I could never do a single screen. For for work, I'll pull what? up a single screen for my laptop, and I'm like, no, there's there's no way I could do this. It's horrible. Once once you have two more than two or two more than one screen, you like I can never go back. Like yeah. I did, I have a laptop, it's a nice laptop. I just can't use it unless I'm not in my house or the office. Yep, I know the feeling. Last resort. Okay, um, so we were actually just just chatting about, um, so we were talking about how bottling up stress can can very quickly turn into um, very negative things like alcoholism, drugs, things like that. Um, resentment. Your, yeah, resentment. Yeah, from your professional experience. Well, actually, okay, hold on. So reset, hold on. Um, this is going to be a long conversation, guys, just just to give you a, a heads up. Um, first, before we do anything else, let's have you introduce yourself. <laughs> that, 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 for anybody who doesn't know you, um, who are you? What do you do? Um, give us the lowdown. Oh boy. Um, so I am uh, Dr. Anthony Bean. I'm a licensed psychologist here in the state of Texas, and I run a 501c3 nonprofit called the Telos Project, where we take all sorts of insurance, the obscure ones, the well-known ones, pretty much anything uh, we can get our hands on, we will put in an application to be a part of that. And the reason is, is because our, our mission for that is to serve mental health needs, regardless of socioeconomic status, income, or any sort of levels. Like we, we are known in, in our DFW area, that's Dallas, Fort Worth, as the place to go for psych testing uh, now. And we've made that reputation for ourselves in under four years. And so we beat out a lot of the, the big name people uh, for people to come in and actually get their testing there. So that's that's one of my my jobs. I uh, That's my full-time one. I do uh, that as an executive director and um, head psycho uh, clinical psychologist. And we have a team of 20 different people, and we do lots and lots of testing and lots of uh, therapy for, for people who uh, can't get it. So like, say, Medicare, Medicaid, people don't want to take those ones because they're a pain to deal with. And I'll be perfectly honest. They are. <laughs> they are a massive pain to deal with. But we, we still do that. Um, I also run uh, Geek Therapeutics, which is our, our CE and training uh, programs for people, uh, professionals and non-professionals, more geared towards professionals uh, overall. But we do a whole bunch of uh, CE content that's uh, APA approved and NBCC approved, soon to be AIDS approved as well, which is for social workers. And uh, we, we do a ton of content for geek therapy or also known as uh, geek cultural artifacts. And so what we do over at Geek Therapeutics is we have over 55 hours of training now. And by the end of the year, we're 
looking to have over 100 um, at that point, which is going to be phenomenal, I think, overall. The, the other things that we do is we, I have a private practice where I see a very specialized treatment patients um, with, with some people who don't necessarily have uh, insurance and things like that. And we work with them in that, in that capacity. And then I run a publishing company as well that is uh, called Leyline Publishing, where we, we publish a whole bunch of uh, different books, different uh, tools and everything like that that the, uh, the clinical or mental health professional can use. So say for instance, we have a Dungeon Master journal Anyone who plays D&D or any sort of RPG, we made it very agnostic, uh, can pick up this journal and have 10 to 12 sessions of session zero all the way to session 12 from consent forms to be able to understand uh, what your group wants and then help build uh, behavioral goals, characteristics, um, identifiers, flowcharts, everything like that to bring you through the entire uh, 10 to 12 sessions that you're going to run with that, that group. Plus, we have a Geek Therapy card deck, which is awesome. 87 cards. going to be amazing. I'm so excited for that one. That one just takes forever to print. That's the problem. (laughs) So a lot of things is what we pretty much do over here in in Texas as they, as the Texans like to use that phrasing. I would probably say we do a lot and we love doing what we do because it's a passion. If it wasn't a passion, we wouldn't feel like we could continue doing it. Yeah. When I, uh, when we first started this and I introduced you, um, before you came in, um, I basically said, if it, if it involves therapy and gaming, you probably do it. <laughs> yep. Yep. We, we actually do, um, have some really good advocacy with, uh, utilizing different uh, video games in session mm-hmm. with our clients in, in lots of, uh, useful and, uh, uh, one would say out of the box thinking, uh, like, I think when I was discussing with you, I really like uh, the game engine Roblox uh, a lot mm-hmm. because there's just tons of different things you can do with it, depending on what the, the kids needs and uh, wants are. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, so two of, two of your books to, to kind of stay on you real quick, two of your books, I'm really excited to, to take a look at um, the psychology of mm-hmm. Zelda mm-hmm. and the psychology of final fantasy. Yeah, those were fun. When we're we're working on our, our third installation of that uh, as well. Nice. So for anybody who is interested in kind of learning about, you know, the psychology of those two games and kind of how they tie into our world, definitely check those out. We'll put those in the resources in Discord as well, like we usually do for most of our, our resources. Okay. Um, so let's let's jump into bottling up stress. Um, kind of on a on a more on the the male side we're, we're talking about how it's um generate generationally um it's i f- i've noticed um you know you guys may uh, know something or you may know something different but from my experience the older generations tend to feel that mental health like you know we discussed previously mental health isn't a thing it's not masculine it's not you know this is this is not something that men deal with and as we've gotten more into kind of, you know, the Gen X, Gen Y type of thing, I feel like people are starting to at least understand it a little bit more. And they're starting to somewhat accept the fact that it's a thing. You know, they, there's still some of that generational, you know, oh, well, this isn't a thing. But they're, they're, we're starting to be able to, you know, push people into understanding that, hey, men have feelings too, you know, and they need to be able to express their feelings. I 100% agrees. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, I mean that I, I could definitely say that even like my my dad did really really good as as best as he can. But he he comes from a uh, military. He's not military, but his his dad was military, and then his stepdad was. Military. So he he came down very much on this this line of like, hey, like this is the rule. Don't pass it. If you pass it, there's going to be massive consequences. Um, it's like all or nothing uh, mentality is that we kind of tend to, tend to see. And you know, he did as much as he can. But I can definitely say, even for uh, for for my childhood, there, there's things that I wish I would have gotten um, out of it um, a little bit more from him. Like even to this day, I can and my wife will, will will point this out and she'll be like, "This is really funny because you know he does. He know he loves you, but he will he won't say those words uh, very easily." Yeah. Um, and and it's and it's something that's just kind of does a little bit more uh, specifically with him, and that's that's okay because that's kind of like the the child that I uh, practically grew up with um, on lots of levels, and so that's that's kind of like the, the mentality that. I grew up with, but it's also something that I am hands down changing with, with my two kids that we do is like, we talk about our feelings, we express ourselves. We tell each other that like, Hey, we love you. We are very open with stuff. We have rules, we have boundaries, but we work from it, from that, uh, what we call the, um, authoritative uh, standpoint of parenting rather than authoritarian. Mm-hmm. And it's, it works out really, really well with our son who is, a boundary pusher like I was. Um, and also, he's he's kind of like a little bit of an anxious kid, and mm-hmm. that's that's how that's who he is. And we're we're working with that as much as we can. But I would definitely say our culture here is very much as men are strong, men should show emotion, men should do this, blah 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 blah. And I'll just say I think it's all bullshit. But yeah. um, I think that it's it doesn't serve anyone uh, well uh, or. Like when we when we talk about union psychology, which is what I'm I'm heavily trained in, we we talk about the the idea of the anima and the animus, the feminine and the masculine, and how they're yin yang. You can't have one without the other, and if one becomes too strong, it overpowers your yourself, and it doesn't do any sort of good good anything um, for you as a person. And I think that. Uh, that really is where my my stuff kind of struck me pretty hard is where where do we have to kind of know i guess a little bit more about our ourselves and how do we engage our own personal self-worth in an emotionally appropriate capacity where our cup doesn't get bottled up or it doesn't become overflowing and um, all hell will kind of break loose yeah yeah that's that's the i think that's the dangerous thing is you know, with the, with older generations, it did tend to be more of a, you know, don't show that emotion. And then that's why, you know, you, you end up getting into alcoholism, you know, I mean, that's obviously not the only reason, but you end up getting into that because you can't express yourself in a healthy kind of way because you're always told, nope, that's, that's not how this is going to work. You know, you can't. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, there. When people can't express themselves, they turn to other methods. Like yeah. when they say with with kids themselves, even um, if they're not getting the right amount of attention, they will do something to mm-hmm. get attention, whether it's negative or positive. And I think that that is is very, um, I think, a serving of that happens in adulthood too. Yep. You didn't get enough attention in some way, or you don't feel like you're being seen. You're going to do things to make sure that you are seen as a person. 
Yeah. I'm loving it. And it was funny because Randy, as uh, Dr. Bean, as Randy was getting you ready to, to come on, I was sharing with everyone. I had gone on to uh, your website, Geek Therapeutics, and I had seen things there my own self that I was like, oh, wow, I want to learn more about this. And that's always mm-hmm. impressive where you can see another professional uh, out there, you know, doing something, making a difference. And and I was sitting here quietly nodding my head uh, when you were talking about the insurances, the practice I'm at too, you name it, we take it. If we don't, we will. Um, and then I have my own little private practice that if insurance just isn't an option at a very low rate, I'll see you. And, and, you know, I've done pro bono work and not afraid to do, you know, the right thing for someone. Right. And it's so refreshing. Honestly, I have to tell you, it's so refreshing to meet somebody else who does that, who has that mindset, because that's not always the case. Um, and it's unfortunate when we run into that. And yeah, it's, uh, I mean, so to give you guys, uh, an, another idea of like, we obviously down here in Texas, we have a lot of uh, Mexican Americans and people who are, uh, prone to be deported for the stupidest reasons known to man. Um, and I won't get into that, so then we'll get too far into politics. Um, but <laughs> the but the the whole idea is uh, just even a couple of weeks ago, someone came to me. She spoke Spanish. I don't speak Spanish, but I have clinicians who do. And she was like, "I need something. My lawyer needs this to make sure I don't get deported." And we're like, "Cool, we can make this happen." And I was like, "You know what? For us to do this, it's going to take us." three to four hours to interview you, give you a, a personality test, and then write up this this letter for you. Said it all in all, it's going to cost this much money. She literally started crying in, in front of uh, us and the translator because she goes, people are quoting me 10 times that amount for this. And I was like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, it doesn't take that much time nor mm-hmm. effort for us to to do that. And I'm like, we're happy to do it for, for this price. And she's like, I'll be on Friday. And she's her her cases is now um completely done and that's that's just how easy this stuff is i think that there's a major barrier to for people to get mental health uh never mind that even in where my practices are i see a lot of uh, adult males who are like ah, i feel so bad about this but i can't express this i can't do this and i'm like why not like how are you expressing it how are you doing this mm-hmm. what are you doing it incorrectly because you know, uh, males tend to go into the anger and rage rather than the more of I'm vulnerable and this is hurting me. How do I express this appropriately uh, type of mentality? And it's mind boggling to them to to see like because they, they fight it tooth and nail like every time they'll be like, that's not going to work, Dr. P. There, that's no, there's no way that's going to work. I'm like, just do me a favor. Try it once and then let's talk about how it worked. And they come back almost every time and they'll say, wow, I solved the entire argument in a matter of seconds by saying these types of words and these types of phrasings um, that help to engage myself with the people around me. I think that that was very much the, uh, the eye-opening change for, for them. And they start then listening. That's that's really what kind of comes into play. Is I don't really like to listen. <laughs> now, so. being being from down in that area, do you see a lot of of cultural changes when it comes to the acceptance of mental health and therapy? Um, you know, it's really really unique um, that in some cases, it, no, in 
some cases, yes. Uh, we see a lot of, of people who have a lot of issues with accepting mental health or saying, I see it as an issue, solve my kid, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And you're like, you're probably part of the problem if you're going at it with that, that type of mentality. Um, and we, we, it's rare for us to see it in that moment of change immediately. But when we start to engage the parent, we start to show them how they're reacting differently if it's used this way, whether it just even sometimes a simple switch of words and dissolve an entire um, argument or issue with a kid, parent, uh, child-parent interaction, just by changing the words a little bit, you still get the meaning of cross, but they don't feel blasted. They don't feel like they're in trouble and they don't feel like they're um, uh, below you on any level. Yep. You, you have to hide the power in a sense. You have to hide that when you're dealing with, with kids. Get on their eye level. Use we statements. Um, talk about what made you do this, not why, because why requires a critical thought. If you're stunting them in, in a power uh, play then they're not going to be able to critically think because they're going to become anxious they're going to be like uh, uh, i don't know what to think here and that's that stops the mindset a lot and then you know when people become anxious it kind of goes down that path to adulthood we can't really in- engage them or or help them out in a lot of ways of of turning to to different coping mechanisms that aren't healthy or not are not not very great for them mm-hmm. you look like you have something to say stacy I do, but I'm not. I'm sh- not sure if it's time for my question yet or not. Because I'm like, what? Like the progress? Of- <laughs> no, no, go for it. Go ahead. <laughs> so, some men, you know, are are emasculated by their partner, right? Uh, strong women, right? Mm-hmm. Strong partners. Um, what would what advice or thoughts would you share with somebody who maybe you know a, a man who's perhaps emasculated by their partner uh, repeatedly? How would, what would so, you suggest for them with coping? So we, I have a lot of these types of men that come <laughs> on in actually. And what we, what we tend to work on is we, where are you feeling like you are being pigeonholed? And some of them, you know, they're not in healthy relationships. Like they are very passive individuals and their partner is not necessarily very passive themselves. And <laughs> they can be very aggressive mm-hmm. towards them because um, aggressive usually feeds off a of passive and vice versa. Some people like to be told what to do. And so what we tend to uh, focus a little bit more on is the, uh, the idea of what is the relationship? What are the pillars? How is the communication going? Are there communication errors occurring? What are, can you do to make sure that you're heard? And if you are not heard or forced into a situation that's a no-win, what can you do to be like, okay, well, here's here's my line. I need to stand up for myself in this capacity, but also to be able to to know how do I move forward from this? So I'll, I'll give a, an example of, of this. I have a, a, a client um, who is uh, on the spectrum and he's an adult married um, his, his wife uh, partner is a, a wonderful person, uh, but she's really, really smart and really, really good with words um, and twisting conversations around. So he feels like he is stuck between a rock and a hard place, you know, like the Homer Simpson, like, mm-hmm. thing, like ah, 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 <laughs> that type of thing. Um, yeah. We, like you do this, you're going to have to put up a meme now, like just be like, pause for the 15 <laughs> seconds of that um but the uh, but, but what we've kind of done is you, you need to have couples counseling and you need to get into there and what his partner tends to do is 
manipulate the situation, even in the couple's counseling, to where he is the problem, even though we're addressing everything that happens, the goal line keeps on switching, keeps on moving on him. And that's a problem. And that is a communication error in his relationship. So if that need that needs to be addressed by a third party, and I'm not going to be that third party because my job is to get him to evaluate his communication style and to engage in in a different way, which he has done tremendously and and moved his bar way way farther than what I think uh, he was ever expecting to be able to do, which is fantastic. Um, but back onto the coping skills, it's always like. What are your goals? How do we attain them? And how, what type of communication are you doing? So I've even had him um, write down immediately after, what is the communication? What are the house rules? What are these types of things? Did I break any of these house rules? Because we know with those who are neurodivergent, um, they have sometimes have a, uh, some difficulties with, here's the rule, I'm going to abide by these rules. And if I'm off by something or something you my partner doesn't like one of the rules for one specific night, then I get in trouble and it doesn't make sense. And you're like, you're right, because you have these agreed upon rules and you followed them, yet you're still in trouble. It's a weird combination, isn't it, man? Um, but it, it's the the idea of when we when we have people who are emasculated, is it's it's always like, let's take a look at the communication. Let's focus in on where are those errors? Are there something that you're potentially saying? Is there something you're not doing? Is there something that you could, could potentially be doing a little bit more? Are you giving up? Are you feeling like you don't have a voice? There's a, there's a lot of different uh, little playable rules that we always have to go and decipher to be able to understand what is it that is causing this entire uh, relationship to go in this direction? And you can do that individually. You can uh, dissect that relationship as long as you as the clinician can, can stay um, impartial. There are definitely times where the, the client will always try to get you on their side and stuff. And, but you're like, this is hearsay. I can't take your input, just making sure that they know this boundary. And that usually stops it pretty well. Like telling me this, I'm hearing this. I would bet that there's probably other things we're not looking at. So if we want to dissect this a little bit further, let's go into this one by one, sentence by sentence, and let's go role play this through again so we can see what's happening, what's going on. And that usually brings up some insight because when we feel anxious, when we feel um, whether it's emasculated or, or put into a different portion of, of like a little tiny little box, you know, like Aladdin, um, you know, big super cosmic <laughs> powers tiny little itty bitty living space. Uh, and when, when we time, tend to do that, we, we feel anxious. We feel like we can't do something or we, we get really frustrated and we blow up and there goes the conversation. Like when that happens, you have to take time. You're like, let's take a break. I want to finish this conversation. I am a little heated right now or I feel anxious. I don't feel safe in this conversation. Safe is a wonderful word, especially for emasculated men. Because I can tell you nine times out of 10, women tend to use that word more than men. But if they hear it, they're like, whoa, wait a second. I, I know that word because women tend to use it a lot more than we do. So when they tend to hear it, they tend to be like, okay, what's happening? This is, this is new. This is counterintuitive to what I'm used to. How do I, how do I kind of go with this a little bit? Um, and that usually starts a different conversation and it's also allows the person to be vulnerable and that vulnerability is super, super important. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's how we grow it, it, when people think of like uh, Conan, the barbarian, what, what happens to to him in the, in the movies? 
do I have have any of either one of you kind of uh, rewatched it or anything recently? No, it's been so not long recently since I anything related to that. But, I say but, I will uh, now though. I, I recently, <laughs> recently, I will say like within the last ten years uh, oh, because okay, okay. it's it's it's, to, it's totally outdated with terrible stereotypes. Um, <laughs> but basically, what what happens in in that uh, that movie is that he becomes so not narcissistic, but more like. Um, drenched in his own power where he feels like he can do anything in the world and what ends up happening is he's drugged he slept he sold into slavery those are things that you you do when you become drunk with power and i'm using air quotes right here to be able to not be able to see the other side to not being vulnerable to be saying where do i need to grow where do i need to change something a little bit differently the darkness takes over the darkness takes over it's really important to to kind of navigate how do we get out of that darkness and that's where we are vulnerable so i would very much say um, other parts of that scene is someone told him it's like don't go to this you're gonna get in trouble and he's like ah nothing i'm coded i can do anything i want uh, and goes to it and looks what happens he doesn't listen to the the conscious he doesn't listen to the other is what we call it in union uh, psychology of being able to, to kind of know who we are and and what the, the environment the the uh, people around us are trying to tell us it's, it's not necessarily something where i have to sit down and dissect everything from a philosophical standpoint it's more like these things can be pretty blatant if someone's telling me not to do something i probably should listen mm-hmm. well and one of the i think one of the big things you know kind of going back to what you're saying a little bit ago about communication is just making sure at least from my experience of talking to people, obviously I'm not, you know, I don't deal with people on a, on a regular basis like you guys do. Um, but one of the things that I see is one, um, when there are issues between a couple, let's say, um, usually it's communication. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. it, both, both parties are at fault in one way or another. You know, either it's one's not stepping up enough, the other one's stepping up too much. Or something along those lines and it's just a an imbalance of communication overall in, in the relationship and if you can get yourself into actually communicating properly or at least like you said you know if if you know his um if his wife was moving that goalpost too much for him and if that's if she's able to bring that back and actually make it so at least things are achievable and he's willing to express what he's feeling then that's going to make the relationship a million times better just from, you know, in some cases, a little bit of work. And both couples, ha- or go- both people have to actually be willing to do that. Uh, see, that's, that was the part I was going to add that's on. The, is the part, ca- yeah. Caveat is the other side, the other. So in his, yep. his point, um, his wife has to be open yep. to, to kind of talking about that and not feeling attacked herself. And that's where she tends to, yep. from what it sounds like, uh, tends to go a little bit more. And no matter whether he comes forward or not, she tends to feel attacked. And when someone feels threatened, what do we do? We're, we go to our primal instincts. Mm-hmm. We lash back out. You're going to attack. We're going to attack Very back. defensive, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the communication that has to happen between those two. And it's time. It's yeah. not like a, a one-night shop uh, fix-all. It's not like Tylenol or ibuprofen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, Stacey and I, you and I have talked about like disc tests and and the you know the um, the personality tests and such, and understanding what type of person you're dealing with 
when it comes to that type of situation, I think is probably the most important thing. Because being able to, you know, let, let's say, for instance, Dr. Bean, you're having a conversation with his wife, knowing how to talk to her to make it to make her feel like she's not being, you know, belittled or not being attacked when you're trying to, hey, say, hey, you know, we need to, to figure this out or him going back and saying, I need to figure this out, giving him the tools to be able to to communicate properly with her. And I think a lot of a lot of people miss that. It's a hard, it's a hard balance to strike and, and, and also being aware of your own uh, reflexivity inside of the relationship. Cause, and I think that's, that's one thing us as therapists, we, we also have to, to acknowledge, like sometimes we get sucked in mm-hmm. and that's, that's when, when we start to recognize those symptoms or someone starts to point them out, we should be like, huh, maybe I start need to start taking things with a grain of salt to a point start asking some harder questions and not just be like oh man i'm so sorry that sounds like that really sucked being like hmm that doesn't sound like that's something that could potentially happen what what else tell me a little bit more about that (laughs) yeah i just learned to dig in and and i think you know at least from my relationship experience too um from inside the relationship being able to to dig a little bit deeper and find out okay if my spouse is mad at me find out why Instead of just attacking and saying, well, why the hell are you mad at me? Staying calm and, and trying to actually, you know, dig a little bit deeper into what the situation is. So that not only am I not attacking her, but she doesn't come back and attack me. And now all of a sudden we're, you know, even f- deeper than what we were before. You just kind of reminded me of um, one of my practicums was in a high school and very well-known high school in california and like we're talking like their picks go to ncaa um college for football um and i i was a high school counselor there and my job specifically school didn't have to pay for me at all it was all grant funded and stuff like that but i was able to pull kids out of, of class to be able to talk with them for 40 to 50 minutes which is if you're a school counselor you're like son of a gun why how did you get this power because they usually get like 15 minutes max um with these kids and because they have like caseloads of 400 um a person minimum and which is you can't see all those kids on a on a two-week basis so what we what we kind of experienced there and what we changed the culture because as you can see as you can think football culture very masculine very like oh i'm a football star blah 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 cool you've got some place to go here kid but unless you get your crap under control you're gonna have a, a issue potential title nine uh issues in, in ncaa stuff and then your career is is picked um because that stuff goes on in high school too and, and the coaches oh, yeah. like that try to hide that we don't let that happen sometimes when we hear about it um because you should be held responsible for your actions um and one one thing that kind of reminded me is the story that you reminded me of is i was seeing this kid it was towards the the end of the year finals were like two months away he was starting to get nervous about it um i've been seeing him for six months or so at this point he all of a sudden just had a really rough day and no one could really figure out. So I was called in um, to do that. And I saw him in like principal's office, a vice principal, and they're just, and I'm just doing that, like just think Peanuts characters. Um, and he's just like super shut down. Like he's not saying anything. And they're like, why did you do this? What happened? And I walked in, I was like, 
well, guys, what's going on? Like, you can't badger a kid like this. This, this is clearly not getting anywhere. What have you guys done? Let's go over this conversation. Five minute recap, that type of thing. So I was like, okay, well, let me, let me kind of handle this. And I, I, I sat down next to the kid, got down an eye level with him, sat in the chair right next to him and said, hey, man, this isn't like you. What's, what's going on? Like, you seem a little off. What's, what's happening? And the kid just burst into tears because someone was asking him what was happening rather than what blah, 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 blah. You're in so much trouble like this. And it's like, what, what made you kind of go in this, uh, this capacity? Like, tell me, tell me the story. Let's hear this thing from your, your side is like, this isn't normally how you normally um, interact with people around you. So something must be off. And we got the entire kid to, to explain like his mom was having issues with cancer and he was just like, she got a bad diagnosis the night before. And I'm just not feeling myself. And it just it just snowballed into the stuff. And then the principal and vice principal just went and were able to be like, oh my God, we're so sorry. We didn't know. And, of course and I looked at him like, it's amazing what happens if you just ask, huh? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> kind of uh, defeating their, their male masculinity a little bit sometimes. Um, but he, he felt better and he worked on some of his own stuff later later on in in session but i think I'd like to hope the principal and vice principal of the school um kind of learned something um a little bit about that is sometimes we have to ask the right question or sometimes we have to be like this this isn't normal this isn't like how you normally act like what's what's going on what's what's making you do this like what's happening in your life right now to be able to get that story out and to allow them to be vulnerable because if we badger if we hit i mean if someone is beating you with a bat are you going to be like straight out like eagle and be like yes please have some more no you're gonna be curled up you're gonna be like uh hiding your head in a sense that's that's defensiveness right? that that works the same way with the mind and if but if you allow them to be vulnerable they'll untake that a little bit and they'll have a conversation with you it's amazing it, it doesn't take very long for you to be able to get down to the root of of a problem in a situation like that like like you said literally sitting down and just saying what happened this is not like you what's going on and to be able to within seconds do something that probably the principal and vice principal hadn't been able to do in an hour you were able to do in seconds just by simply asking a question that was a rough day yeah i bet <laughs> so from um so you mentioned you know working in the school um and texas being a very big sports state when it comes to football and football being the rah-rah you know masculinity type of thing do you see that um schools parents administrators acknowledge mental health or do they kind of shy away from it you know like it's not a thing It's a tougher question in here, dependent upon where you are in the state. So as we know, Texas is very big. Mm-hmm. And if you, I'm in Dallas-Fort Worth, if you go about 30 miles east, I would say it's less and less likely that mental health is being addressed. If you're in one of the big cities, one of the big metroplexes, it's much more easier to, to be addressed. Um because of the mentality switch the change and usually the resources are um, allocated a little bit easier to to those places so when i'm thinking um i won't name cities because i don't want them to be mad at me (laughs) but i've I've worked in a couple different cities here in in texas and i would say dallas fort worth houston austin san antonio those are the big ones 
um, that will be more mental health friendly versus the outskirts stuff outside of that. It's really, really hard to find something good or something that's going to be very um, amenable to to thinking about mental health in a different way and the, the best of the students. Uh, I will, I'll give you even an example here of here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, I, I'm partnered with uh, TCU, Texas Christian University, um, and their counseling uh, center to do a lot of uh, stuff for them and helping guide them. And they they approached me about two years ago because um, they wanted to talk about using D&D in therapy. And I was like, cool, let's do a conversation. Let's do a a, um, a presentation. Let, let me give you guys some of the stuff that, that you could potentially want to know a little bit more about. So we did that. And then three months later, they're like, can you help us start a program? And I was like, I just hear this correctly, that Texas Christian University, which was part of the issues of the satanic uh, big bubble of D&D, wants to start a D&D group in the counseling center. They said, well, we kind of have to get it through the deans first. And I was like, oh, okay. I know what you're calling me in. I know what you're calling me in now. Um, and so we, we did it. We did it. We talked with the deans. We talked with um, a lot of other people. We got it set up. And they ran two groups. And then they had a debriefing at the end of it, which was four hours long. And they invited me to it because I had helped to set everything up. They had all 12 students that had participated in it. And we just, the deans, a couple of the deans right there were sitting there and they were looking at this group and they're like, I was very hesitant to to bring this in because of all blah, 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 blah. And uh, satanic panic, we're afraid of our image, blah, 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 you know, stuff like that. Question favors the bold guys. Um, The the biggest compliment I think we've ever gotten in that counseling center um, ever got was one of the deans said in my entire Time of being a dean here i've never seen a group come together so fast act like they are best friends i i went over to him and i said you know what i know what's even funnier is none of them are in the same classes none of them are even most of them aren't even in the same grades or level of of uh their their college career and he's like you've got to be kidding me like how are how are you getting freshmen to to interact with seniors and like the game man it forces you to to be a community and look at this like they're talking like they've been best friends and and i said watch this i will i will bet you money right now that they probably have a group chat either discord or text messages and they're hanging out outside of the group and so i asked the question like hey how many times have you guys gotten coffee out of there and they all go like we've been on text group messages and on discord for for, for over a month already and i'm like if someone wants to grab a coffee they say hey i'm gonna go grab a coffee does anyone want to come and join me and usually three or four will get there and they'll just talk and Again, these are juniors with seniors or mm-hmm. sophomores or freshmen. And that's that's the type of community that we we help them to build. And now they're running five groups. Oh nice. And um it's it's amazing. Even through COVID, they said that some of these kids, this is how they're reaching some of them to to make sure they stay connected, is by having them run a little bit through the groups and also feel like they matter to to a lot of people. And that's that's just like one of the many things that we we can do when we think outside the box and don't get held I, uh, poor beliefs is, is kind of what I would say. Yeah. I've, I've played video games pretty much my entire life. Um, and I've, I played things like world of Warcraft, which, okay, cool. You have a community. Um, I've met some pretty cool people from there, but I have not, I've not yet seen a game like D and D 
that really brings people together. I mean, D&D by far is probably one of my favorite just because it one it allows you to be something that you're not. And it allows you it allows you to take yourself out of the element of life um, and put yourself into some kind of fantasy world or something like that. Um, but it also it it actually helps you build the or build up the ability to work with other people, people you don't know. You know, so I mean, hearing something like that and hearing that, you know, even on a grander scale, you guys are able to, you know, push D and D and and push the idea of D and D and what it stands for and things like that. You know, I, I'm I'm curious if the developers of D and D years ago even thought that it would ever blow up to be something like that. We're breaking up a little bit, so I oh. hope there wasn't a question at the end. Oh, no, no, no there wasn't. There was a statement. It was, yeah, just more think, of a statement. Yeah. Huzzah, statement. <laughs> yes. And I think D&D is great for, you know, it allows people to to role play. You know, I've I've been joking with Randy about, you know, eventually finding the time, and, and I'll call him every now and then. I'm like, I have my D&D name. Yeah. I think it's going to be this, and, and Randy, it's top secret right now, but I've settled on it. But that was a big thing for me, being able to come up with a name because I was like, oh, I get to have this identity. And and so thinking of this from like that, that therapeutic kind of standpoint, it was a way for me to be able to utilize self-care in a new way um, that I'm really excited about. Because I've I've been a gamer on and off my whole life, too. And, um, you know, new to this platform, I'm still old school on my my Sega and my Atari. <laughs> My Nintendo sitting behind me, right? Um, I've got the whole I'm, thing right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm old school, but, you know, learning the new stuff. And um, I think it's fantastic. You know, I used to use it to to escape from the troubles I had at home or just to figure things out. Or, you know, I remember more recently I was engaged in a conversation where it got kind of tense and I spoke. Oh, we lost him, I think. Nope, yeah, there you are. Just for a quick um, second, yeah. But, yeah, but I was engaged in a, a tense conversation and I excused myself. I said, you know, I'm, I'm really not having this conversation. I'm going to walk away and I'll be, come back and I'll be fine. And, and anyway, I went to, to where we were staying. And I was playing a video game that I'm really good at. And I intentionally did that. And my husband walked in. He's like, what's going on? What, what, what's happening? I'm like, nothing. I'm playing a video game. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the great thing was I played one I'm really good at because I needed to feel confident again, because in that tense moment, tension doesn't make me feel so good. Right. And, uh, you know, I escaped into the game and it was a wonderful exchange. And that's how I found, you know, less than five minutes. I think it took a minute to three minutes tops, you know, to kind of just reconnect, regroup. Right. And I share this because, you know, giving giving everyone, you know, different ideas of ways to cope. Um, you know, it, different things can, we don't always have an hour of, of time to do self-care. Sometimes it has to come in the form of, hey, I got a minute. I got 30 seconds. You know, I've got under five minutes. Um, sometimes we have to do it real quick. And, and knowing what those tools are that help you to do that is essential. Right? Hands down. Yeah. You, you need to be able to know what those those tools are and what we can pull out of it like we use starcraft for money management on teaching teens money management because it's just such really? a you're like yeah, i mean why not 
Like, here's the thing is like, I'm going to create a map. I'm going to set up mine clusters and I'm going to attack you. So you have to spend money in order to do it. And I'm going to lay stuff out specifically for you um, in a way. So you have to budget yourself to go forward. And then we talk about it in a debriefing session last like 15 minutes. Like, what did you learn about money management? I can tell you, you spent too much over here, which means that you didn't have enough to, to guard yourself. And I destroyed you. That's what life's going to do. <laughs> if you don't money management, or maybe you didn't right. mine fast enough and you didn't have enough resources to do that, which means there wasn't enough work going on to do that. So it's things you have to manage. And my all-time favorite to do is like, sometimes you need multiple incomes or multiple streams of income to be able to really um, make it through a lot of different uh, difficulties. And that's when you have multiple bases because each one's a different stream of income. As one dries up, you can then rely on this other and then move to a new one. And that's it's a wonderful metaphor to to utilize. I I never would have thought to use StarCraft. Like as you're explaining this, I'm thinking that makes a hundred percent sense. You know, that's you, awesome. like you you, you <laughs> finish a node and you're like, okay, well that node's gone. I can't get anything from there. If I don't expand, I'm not gonna be able to you know, gain more income. And I, mm-hmm. I, I applaud you, you know, you and your team and, and whoever else might be involved in being able to take, you know, the, you know, kind of going back to your, your books, you know, the, the idea of, of the books and the, the Starcraft, the D&D, and really being able to tie it into our regular life, which is not even something the creators probably thought about doing, but for you guys to be able oh, to really, gosh, no. yeah, for you guys yeah. to be able to take that and say, Hey, you know what? This is going to teach you a real lesson. It's not just a video game. It's not just, you know, sit down and and play some things. It can be utilized to teach kids and to teach adults. And, you know, hey, here's how you manage certain parts of your life. That's awesome. It's it's super helpful. And when people go and they they talk about like, let's create a game for, for mental health cool you know like let's let's do that let's let's support that type of thing one you got to make it affordable two you got to make sure it's research-based and three you got to make sure it's engaging like most games like when we tend to see them they're either not engaging um because they're made by a mental health professional who doesn't play video games and think that they know everything um about uh, an evidence-based tactic or they're made by a game designer who wanted to create something and hired a consultant the consultant didn't wasn't really fantastic about like hey here's some evidence-based things or maybe this is a little too long or maybe we need to do this instead um but was thinking it only from their personal experience and that is not necessarily a great one either yeah and so that usually creates two different types of games which aren't engaging or don't have any evidence uh, practicality and that's that's an issue one of the reasons i just prefer to use what games you play like playing fortnite cool want to be on a team together let's play for a little bit and i'm not going to help you until you ask for help or i'm going to go off and ping myself way across the screen and you're gonna be like hey man you need some help i'm way over here you didn't ask for it in time there's there's lots of different things we can use games for based on what's already out there so yes we can create something yes we can do something else but i also really honestly like the idea of just use what's already available because there's really not a a need to to reinvent the wheel when you already have some some stuff that's out there mm-hmm. yeah um i know i was listening to uh, uh joe and nate and all them have the conversation with the ceo for uh social cypher 
don't know if you were able to mm-hmm. listen to that yet. Listening to to kind of her concept of, you know, this is what I really wanted to do as mm-hmm. somebody who, you know, has dealt with this. And then having all the other people say, well, no, we need to do it this way. And and really having that balance of of the two, I think a lot of games lack. Because like you said, you're gonna either gonna have somebody who's a professional in you know, a, a therapist or somebody who understands mental health, who's not a game developer and vice versa. If you can get that cohesive team together, who's really going to be able to challenge each other and say, okay, here's the game we're going to develop. And here's why we're going to develop it. That's when you're going to make a good game. Somebody, something mm-hmm. who, you know, where it's actually going to make a difference in that person's life. We we streamed with uh, Social Cipher a couple of weeks uh, okay. ago as well, um, so I'm f- familiar with uh, with the game we played through. And there's some really really cool stuff in there that I think is going to change a lot of kids' lives. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to being able to play that. It's awesome. Yeah, um, Dr. Ryan Kelly uh, played it on the hardest difficulty because he's like, "Go bigger or go home," and I was like, <laughs> "That's that's the the Ryan I know because he go for it. <laughs> he's he's one of my good friends. Um, and he's over in North Carolina, okay. uh, but he. Um, he actually uh, used to be like in the top 10 of uh, the U.S. of the world of Rocket League. And the stuff that guy can do in that game is insane. I, I swear he's hacking. And he's not. He's not. Like, he can fly well, from his call goal to right the now. other. He's, he's clearly I, I feel not like he's hacking. hacking. He's, not, he's not hacking. But, man, he... Stuff that guy that can do. And he's just, like, naturally charismatic and, like talented at something he can be like oh, i've never touched this before to pick it up and like an hour later he's like doing something he's been doing it for years and you're like what the heck man like that's <laughs> not cool yeah it's <laughs> funny it's just it, you you get to that that natural talent of certain types of games mm-hmm. it's like you're a pro without being a pro it's he's he's a uh and I'm, I'm really uh thankful to be kind of i uh, have him be one of my good friends so mm-hmm. Um, did you have any questions, Stacey? Okay. Not on gaming. I'm good. <laughs> go, go, go. Bring I'm just listening. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, I know we're, we're kind of talking about men's mental health and such. Um, but I want to, I want to jump into kind of what you guys do over at Geek Therapeutics a little bit more. Um, cause I think mm-hmm. that's, that's a resource for, for people to be able to utilize, um, male, female doesn't matter. I mean, there's, you guys have a lot of stuff on there. And like you mentioned earlier, you guys are going to be growing even more. So can you tell us a little bit more about kind of what you guys do, how it started, all of that? Absolutely. So I've, I've been a geek gamers um, for like literally my entire life. I can, I have memories of like when I was three years old, like trying to play a Game Boy. Um, so I, I've been in trouble more times than I can count by my parents for, <laughs> for gaming. Um, there was one time I was grounded for an entire year um, off of stuff uh, because I snuck gaming. Um, I don't recommend that for, for, for a punishment because that, that's not really cool. Um, and to, to to like uh, think back upon it and now like when i when i write books or edit books on stuff i send one to my mom and with uh with just like a, a note be like see mom i told you i was going to use this and she's like i never thought this was going to ever happen but i'm so <laughs> proud of you tony i'm so proud and i was like thanks mom thanks mom that's great <laughs> um that's that's kind of like the uh the big big scenario of of uh, what kind of brought this in so i've been that for all my life but when I was at uh, my undergrad from uh, Birmingham State, I actually 
uh, uh, created a geek community um, over Dance Dance Revolution. And he started that group. I know, like I'm watching Stacy be like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> and we, we started it off with like, five people who are interested and we put up flyers, we put up all sorts of stuff everywhere. Um, and by the time I left that college and passed it on to a new person, it had over 300 different people in it. And we had five different rooms we were playing in three nights a week and it just created a community, um, for those people, which is fantastic. And that was, that was really special. And then I did, I've been doing research and everything since 2008 on, on video gamers and uh, clinicians and, and how, how we kind of feel uh, when we play these games, how can we use these things as uh, psychological benefits? Fast forward, I've used them in my practicums, uh, therapy, everything like that. Um, and my dissertation is even on uh, Persona of the Gamer with uh, Big Five Inventory and video gamers and uh, their identity, uh, which uses therapeutic endeavors of uh, introversion versus extroversion. And uh, the X factor is what we call it when you're, you're a bit of both. And then that kind of led into like, well, no one's really teaching on this. And I kept on getting calls over and over again um, across stuff like um, to present in the UK, to present in Hawaii, to present all across the US on a lot of different CEs for, for these different concepts called uh, a geek therapy or, or utilizing geek cultural artifacts in therapeutic context. And so from that, it was just like, man, he should probably do a little bit more of a heavy training on this type of stuff. And we're like, well, what else can we train in? We're like, wait, there's superheroes, there's D&D, there's our other RPGs, there's anime, there's manga, there's fan fiction. And all these things are kind of like in our, our geek culture. And that is, is one very, very important, um, I think, overall. Um, because that was kind of the, the start of us being like, okay, well, let's create a cultural competency. The courses, which is 12 hours of here's your basics that you need to know <laughs> in order to like even like understand key culture of fan fiction, of queer mentality, of working with the LGBTQI, because the geek uh, culture and geek population is very, very, um, uh, boxed in with with LGBTQ yep. um, community, which is fantastic um, because we can we can use all of these different cultural artifacts in uh, for a great benefit for that population for transitioning for playing as the other or something else, um, whatever is needed for the for the client, and that kind of created the cultural competency. And we're like, let's keep going. Let's let's do a certified geek therapist. Let's do a certified geek specialist for those who aren't licensed or or have like a peer advocate uh, degree. Um, or, or who, let's say, are, are a life coach or something, but they, they aren't necessarily accredited by a, um, the what is International Federation of Life Coaches, um, I think is what it is. And so we were like, let's make sure that they have the opportunity to do this. Is we're not saying you have a license, but we are saying that you are certified to be able to talk about this type of e-culture and these types of um, different types of engagements of kind of knowing uh, a little bit more about uh, what, how we can use these things to to the great benefit, and so that's that's where Geek Therapeutics was was born, uh, creating that as a CE company, and then uh, through Final Fantasy and Psychology, uh, Zelda was not that hard to sell. That one's um, that Zelda. one's owned by uh, <laughs> that, that Zelda. That was really easy. Yeah. Um, so that one is is done through a book publishing company called Benbella. And they're based here in Dallas. And I floated the psychology of Final Fantasy past them. 
And they said, no, thanks. You know, we're, we're holding off on, on this for the moment. I was like, cool, that's fine. You've, I've now fulfilled my part of the contract. This fun thing with, with contracts in publishing is that they make you sign something that you're going to pitch your next book to them first. And that's, that's just a, a part of the stuff <laughs> is the easiest way to kind of say it. It's like cool um, and bye. <laughs> yep. And so I was like, that's great. And so then I started shifting it around. I sent it out to 180 different places. Uh, out of that, I think I heard back from about 30 to 40. And out of those 30 to 40, one said they wanted to see something a little bit more, the actual full um, full setup of how it's going to be. And then they ghosted me. Mm. So at some point, I told them, my, my wife, I was like, look, I'm just going to do this because I have it all. It's all done. I'm just going to like self-publish. And she says, can't self-publish. She said, that's rule number one of this family um, is <laughs> you can't do that. And I was like, Okay. All right. So I'm like, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, F it. I'm going to open up a publishing company. Screw this. <laughs> Love it. Resourceful. Oh, hold on. We lost your audio. Oh, what? There we go. There we go. You're back. Oh, I'm still on back. Yep. Perfect. Um, and so, so I just, uh, yeah, opened up that up and now we have the, the two books, the integrating geek culture into therapeutic practice, the introduction to geek therapy for the clinician's guide to it, um, which has been vastly popular. Um, and we have the final fantasy. We have a book on memes that's going to be coming out that we haven't announced yet, which is how to use them in, in therapeutic practice and understanding them from a mimetic standpoint, um, which is really, really interesting. One on villains coming out, a D&D treatment planner, uh, these two, these dungeon journals I spoke of, and the, the card deck, too. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I, I need to I need to keep track of all that because you're going to be getting a lot of money from me. So say, I'll be shopping. <laughs> well, especially the, the meme one for you, Stacey. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm um, curious. So I have a question. For and and it's kind of a I, I think it's a serious question for gamers who find this space as their safe place, right? And you know they log off and they have to go back out into their their real life, right? And, and let's say there's you know um, judgment, shame, chastising. Um, what would you say to individuals about how to cope with that? Um, you know, where they're able to be free and, and again, using that word safe, like we talked about early on, right? It's a big deal, that word, right? And, and vulnerable and they've got friends and, and support. But then again, log off and it's exactly opposite. What kind of advice or tips or what would you say to something like that? I would love to answer the question, but you you robot on me the entire oh way boy. through it. <laughs> so I apologize completely. TLDR I didn't want to interrupt you. I, I, I didn't want to interrupt you or anything like that because it sounded like it was going to be a great question. It was. It was. Stacy's going to come through the, uh, the com- computer and hurt me now. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, TLDR. Go ahead, Randy. No, no, no. Go ahead. No. no ask we, it again. Yeah, ask it again. Go for it. Okay. So for individuals who find gaming this environment as their safe space, right? And and they can be vulnerable and then find support. And then once they log off and they go back to their real life, uh, 
And they have exactly opposite of that. They don't have the support. They don't have the community they have here. What type of advice or suggestions would you give to someone for coping? Because that's somewhere I could see the bottling up happening and just kind of, you know, the depression setting in or the anxiety setting in and just, you know, this twisting of emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say to something like that? Did it freeze again? I'm not meant to ask this question. It doesn't look like I'm muted. Oh, there you are. Okay, there I am. Okay. It's uh, it's running everything. I mean, we have really fast upload speeds. I don't know what's happening. Anyways, so I heard some of the the, the question, and it's if once they shut down the game, how do they re-relate back to life's challenges in a sense? So if we, we t- look at that from what we call a heroic journey, Sometimes destiny itself is thrust upon people. Sometimes you have to go looking for it. Sometimes you need to be more aware of what your surroundings are. So I would like to invoke Black Clover for this one, um, in a sense. is Asta um, himself, is he's a wonderful trope. Um, I love him, and I hate him at the same time. Um, because he's overly optimistic and doesn't necessarily see anything wrong, and everything always works out for him in the end. Which is a great way to think about life, but it's also a dangerous way sometimes because you, that means that you, no matter how impulsive uh, that you could be, is it, you can always cause some, some issues as well. So if that's the trope that I, w- I want to invoke on that one, I also want to say there is a sense of belonging in sometimes where life thrusts you in a direction. So if you don't have support at home, if you don't have support in other areas, Sometimes it's important to then take a second look at what's going on and take, uh, be aware of what uh, is around us and to be able to, to know what our needs are, who's our group, who's our party, how are we going to overtake this, this monster that is life. It can be very overwhelming in a lot of different ways, but also be able to, to rely on the people around us. Sometimes when people get into video games and they like say they play uh, too many FPSs, um, or they solo a lot of stuff, is they don't learn to rely on other people. They don't learn how to ask for help. And they have to kind of engage that a little bit more to to really hone in on what their their needs are, but also how do we then look up to the people around us um, in a lot of ways. So Asta himself in Black Clover, he's a misfit. He's born without magic, but he has this supreme, amazing um, ability that's unlocked by uh, the Grand Witch, uh, Mother Witch, uh, whichever one you want to call her, um, in, in the uh, anime and the manga. And that is... His his basically catchphrase is not yet. I'm not willing to give up yet. Does people have told me that I'm worthless? People have told me that I'm useless. People have told me that I can't do amount to anything. And he goes, "That's not who I am. I almost gave up once. I'm never going to give up again." And that is where that power of that personal justice, that personal um, intuition, will come into play. We have to think a little bit more outside of the box of. If I'm not getting support in these areas, maybe I need to look in a different place. And if, if someone can't help and support me, are they really someone in there that really should be a part of my, my close circle, my, my people of who, who they are and of where I should be focusing a little bit more on who's my party. So when we work with kids and they, they come in with these things, like I don't feel supported by my parents, I don't, 
brothers and sisters, they just attack me and stuff like that. I'm using the word very, very broadly attack, not like physical. Um, and at, at school, I don't really feel like I belong to anyone. I don't really know how to relate to people. It's like, all right, well, let's identify who is your party. And they all question all, every time is, what do you mean by that? I don't understand. I'm not going to a party. I'm like, not, <laughs> not like a rager <laughs> party of that type of thing, but more along the lines of, who is in your party that you are questing life mm -hmm. with? Now, the, the wonderful thing about parties, and if we learn from video games and, and playing D&D in group settings, is it never stays the same. So sometimes someone will leave the party and someone new will come on in, and they have to kind of interact a little bit more with the party to, to become uh, familiar and safe, feel safe in that way. So when we look at that, we can then identify who's been in my past party, who's left. Um, that that party because maybe they moved, maybe they went to a different uh, school, maybe something else happened. Now, who has come in? Who is there to, for my support? If it's not my parents and they're not part of my party, who is there? What is actually there for them to uh, to to be? Maybe they're not. Maybe they're townsfolk. Maybe they're merchants. I don't know what they are. Uh, we can identify that type of stuff later. But the the idea of of it is like. Who's your questing party? And once we identify that is what are your quests? Like, are they dailies? Are they other stuff? Um, sometimes I have my my clients go and talk about the difference between spell slots and cantrips in D&D &D and of how a cantrip is something you can cast over and over again. You're so familiar with it. It's I get up, I brush my teeth, I shower, I eat breakfast. Those are cantrips. Mm -hmm. Those are things you do every day. They take minimal energy. Grocery shopping, but going to a party, go, talking to your boss, finishing this large project those are spell slots and those take a lot more energy because they take a lot more to get them completed and if we think about life and sometimes that as an exercise we then start thinking a little bit more about what do i need to change how do i change it and who is there to help support me in those times of needs when something sometimes gets a little too too difficult and to your to your point of uh you know your party can change it might depend on what the quest is you know, you, you know, your, your parents might be in your party for one situation, but for another situation, doesn't mean they're not important, but they're, they may not be directly involved in it. So you might have a different group. Um, you mentioned, uh, so, so kind of, you know, to, to sum all that up, it's, it's really a matter of finding the balance between who you are solo and who you are as part of a group. Yeah, is it, sometimes you got to take something on solo. Sometimes you got to take a uh, call on your group. It's perfectly reasonable and possible to to fight a dungeon by yourself if you're overpowered in some capacities. But sometimes you need to rely on other people. There you go. We keep losing your, your video too. It's video like a game of peekaboo. <laughs> That's all right. It's funny because <laughs> I keep uh, I keep on losing Stacy's video oh. too every so often. Okay. <laughs> now you see me. Now you don't. Yeah, no. It's it's like, haha. <laughs> Where am I going now? There, there might be a system or uh, an issue on the the system side. Um, yeah, you know, you you mentioned that, but it's it's kind of funny because there's always like the golden rule: never split the party. You mm -hmm. know, but sometimes you have to. You know, we were we were playing D and D on Saturday, um, just two Saturdays ago, whatever it was, and um, or no, last week Saturday. And I, you know, somebody made a joke because there was a, a, a cobalt and a dragon that I had to uh, take over 
because we were we were doing a, a specific campaign. And I had to take them over, and one of our our teammates was like, "Oh, you're splitting the party," because now all of a sudden, you know, you could very well get in, you know, to a risky situation, you know. But sometimes it's worth going solo in order to learn from that experience, you know, taking that risk to possibly do it. But knowing that when I come back to it, my party's there, my party is going to be there to help me through you know, whatever it might be, you know, moving forward. And that's, that's the point of a party is it, it is to support. Yep. And that's, that's what, what it, it kind of does. And like sometimes, you know, you've got to be at opposite ends of the yep. room sometimes. <laughs> in order to, to solve the puzzle. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's something I've always found quite fascinating and and troubling at the same time you know coming up with the solution of how to help individuals find that that sense of safety and security outside of this platform right and and feel safe and i know um individuals that i've worked with parents or kids um you know i'll get either end of it my parents don't understand me gaming or you know my my kid games all the time and i don't understand it and I invite the parents to come check out the podcast. I'm like, come check out this podcast I do once a month. Maybe it'll help you learn something. And at a, a conversation once, you know, asking somebody said, well, you know, they were saying, you know, my, my kid games. And I said, well, what do you do to cope? What, 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 what's your thing? When you've had a stressful day after work, what do you come home and do? Oh, you know, I do this and this and this. I go, okay, so your kid plays video games and, and you iron or you craft. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't understand video games. I go, well, maybe they don't understand crafting. <laughs> What's the difference? There's none, really. And I think that's probably one of the most troubling things as a clinician is trying to help people um, with that. And I, I love that you point out just how to apply the games. Uh, I, I absolutely adore that. So um, in helping people. So I will definitely be uh, checking that mm-hmm. stuff out to help me help others. So thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Yeah, it's it's, we're, we're, it's all a passion of love. So I mean, that's that's really why why we continue doing it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and there's and again, you know, you know, just looking over Geek Therapeutics and talking to you, talking to you know a few other people that, that know you well, um, and even taking the so I took the um, the streamer uh, training, and the the amount of mm-hmm. information in there was amazing. Like just and and how you guys kind of laid everything out. You know, it was it was great to be able to go through that and actually have a very good understanding of, you know, this is how to deal with certain types of people, you know, because as a streamer, you deal with a lot of different people. And sometimes you have mm-hmm. people who are more difficult than others. You don't necessarily know if they might have me. You know, they, they may be neurodivergent. They may not. They might just want to be an asshole just to be an asshole. You know, sometimes, you know, they're going to be neurodivergent and they don't know they're being, you know, quote unquote, an asshole. You know, so being able to go through trainings like that um, with what you guys do has been very eye opening, I think, for me and my moderators to um, to just get a good grasp on what we're dealing with in, uh, in the real world and, and in the streaming. world. So right off the bat, I want to say yeah. thank you. Absolutely. I mean, we, we have plans to add into that as well. So uh, specifically things for mods. Yeah. Um, I know that we have some of the researchers who have everything ready. It's just finding the time. And obviously, researchers tend to teach and finals yeah, is coming oh yeah. up. So they're a little busy. So 
When yeah, it comes, no, no, please, oh, go ahead, go ahead go Randy. Ahead. I was going to say, when it comes to vulnerability and shame, and you know, men, and I know this topic is—it's this month is you know about men. There's women too that struggle mm-hmm. with it. So speak for us a little bit, but I know we're talking about men. Um, and, and those again, who don't gender identify, um, any suggestions for how to find comfort when they're experiencing shame or too much vulnerability? Um, how can they help themselves in moments like that? A good question. I've, what would you de- determine to kind of be as too much a vulnerability? Yeah, so something where, let's say, um, they come out and, and they've just gotten done gaming and let's say they did really, really well. And, and, you know, their partner, whether it's a spouse, a sibling, or whomever, somebody says, all you, all you ever do is sit there and game and waste time and how, you're never going to amount to anything, right? And they're vulnerable because they just did really well in, in, in chat, perhaps. They're, you know, rooting them on and, oh, wow. Um, and then they just get shamed and, and kind of, you know, clubbed in the knees, if you will. Um, and, and that closes them off and that can lead to, again, the bottling up, the resentment, the depression. How would you suggest somebody handles something that extreme, that hot and that cold? It's a, it's a hard thing to do. It's what, it's what we call a pull of the tensions and because you're being pulled one way or another. And when, when we talk about that in Jungian psychology, sometimes that tension is there and that those feelings are, are there to be expressed because we need to know what they feel like. But there's also a reason that that tension, is, is, that tension pulls there. So if you're being too vulnerable, maybe it's, it's time to have a little bit more of a firmer boundary. Be like, I'm not going to open myself up in these types of ways because this makes me feel like crap. I feel shame when I'm being vulnerable and I'm not being respected. In, in that type of way, because when we are vulnerable, we have to be able to to have someone to be able to to hear that and to validate that. And if we don't get that, that's where that defensiveness comes into play. So if someone's not necessarily giving you that that feel that that space to be able to to feel like you can be vulnerable, you're not going to be. But also, if you are in those cases, you're not going to feel great because you're not going to have validated be validated. Um, Give an example. When my wife wants to be vulnerable, she is vulnerable, and I know the cues to pick up on. When I'm trying to be vulnerable, um, she might try to a solution focus, find a, 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 a an issue or a reason to to have it there, and I have to be like, no, 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 hon, I'm trying to be vulnerable here. And she goes, oh, oh, okay, and then like the whole demeanor changes, and everything will change differently. So sometimes it also requires, she's a psychologist too. Um, so sometimes it even requires to, uh, to have uh, a, a say like, no, I'm trying to be vulnerable here. And if someone can't tolerate that and can't give you what you need in that moment, the validation, the ability to understand what you're going through and to be like, you know, this really sucks. And how do we, we solve this stuff? And I'm going to be right here with you in this moment, in this feeling, in this experience um, with you on that capacity is 
you is that someone part of your your group that you want to be vulnerable about is that someone that that can tolerate that with you and so when you're having that tension the question is is am i being too vulnerable with this person am i not getting the validation is this the right person to be opening up to because that's that's also another uh another issue we tend to see sometimes is Sometimes people will just uh, word vomit over everybody around you. And, you know, that's, that could be a turnoff to like, wow, you're it's not necessarily really open. It's like, I didn't think we were that close. And that was, you know, a lot of booming <laughs> to just drop on me. I met you 10 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> that type Do you of- even know my name? <laughs> yeah. And so, and so that, that's really is, is pay attention to the tension is what is, is this tension telling you and, and how, do you actually have to hold it? Do you need to reevaluate something? Cause uh, Carl Jung always would say is those tensions are really important to pay attention to because they tell us something about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they do. And I think it's really important, you know, and what you're saying is is, is telling individuals we're not always going to have an, a, an even playing field with everybody in our life. There's going to be times that certain family members, we can't be vulnerable with them or friends. We can't be always vulnerable with everybody equally. We have to put into place these boundaries and know when they need to be firm boundaries, flexible boundaries um, and do what's right for ourselves to keep us healthy. Yeah. Thank you. And it's, it's important. It's important too, because, you know, as a, you know, kind of going into the streaming world, you know, all three of us right now are being extremely vulnerable. We're getting, you know, up in front of a group, we're talking, you know, we're having a conversation. And if, if I did this day in and day out and didn't have somebody who supported it on the outside, it, it would, I would be in a very different place than what I am now. Very different. You know, but having somebody who actually supports it and and roots me on and and helps me, you know, with different ideas. For instance, you know, Dr. Bean, I don't know if you knew, but I've, you know, the last week I've changed my hair um because of Guardian's uh um charity. You know, the the big event that we did a couple weeks ago. Um, so we had what we call a no hat stream, and I literally wore I'll admit it, guys, I've been denying this, but I wore wigs um, the entire week. And it was it was me being vulnerable and it was her idea to be able to do this. And if she wasn't yeah, my hair, yes. Um, And if she wasn't supportive of it, I would be in a very different place than what I am. You know, so and, and, you know, being able to, you know, go into your point of, you know, the conversation between, you know, yourself and your wife. And having to say, having to step back and say, you know, really, I, right now, I just need you to listen. You know, I just need you to listen. I don't need you to problem solve. You know, that's something I'm still working on because I'm a lot like, you know, your wife in that manner where I'm, you know, I'm always trying to problem solve. Um, but there's times when my wife will be like, yeah, no, I need, just need you to just sit back and listen. That's it. It's hard. <laughs> it's very, very hard. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and the other. Yeah. My spouse and I have that too. There's times that he'll look at me. He's like, "All right, what role am I playing? Am I your best girlfriend, or am I a dude? You know, am I problem solving, or am I just mm-hmm. listening? Which, which one? Am I, you know, your cheerleader? And you know, I go as far as to tell him, you know, I need a coach right now, or I need a spectator, I need a cheerleader, and he should be the best person holding the number one foam fan finger." 
you know, I tend to be pretty in tune with what my needs are, but sometimes I don't know. And I think when I don't know what I need, that's, that makes him feel pretty vulnerable too. Cause then, you know, he looks forward to my lead. Um, and when I'm like, I, I don't even know. And it happens. Um, he's just like, and I watch him kind of look a little deflated. I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad. I'm like, all right, I got to figure it out real quick. But, but I don't know. And sometimes I'm like, just sit with me. Cause I don't know. I'm just in a space. And, um, Randy, like you, I'm very, very lucky to have somebody who's incredibly supportive of this and, and what I do and, and furthering my career uh, and doing more work on this platform. Um, I, sometimes I think he's ahead of me <laughs> going, come on, yeah. catch up. And I'm like, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, skateboard. <laughs> um, but no, he's, he's incredible. And I feel so lucky. And, and when I hear that there's individuals out there not supported, it's something I always want to help them problem solve and figure out, okay, how, where, why, you know, what can we do? Um, yeah. So are there, are there any last things that either of you want to jump into any conversations, Dr. Bean, that you are interested in, in, uh, speaking to? I mean, I'm, I'm here for the fun. So (laughs) (laughs) pending internet, you know, (laughs) all right, let's see. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think I'm good because the, the the few questions I did ask, those were like ones that were on my mind since we mm-hmm. met the other day. I was like, all right, what do I want to ask? And I had a hundred different things like flying through my head. And I'm like, nope, narrow it down to your top favorite three. Right. <laughs> and I think I did. There's definitely a lot of conversation that can <laughs> be had is, about this. Yes, as I say, which me narrowing it down to my top three is pretty mm-hmm. damn good. <laughs> like. I'm <laughs> that was hard. Well, Stacy, I'm I'm very surprised that you uh have been as silent as you have been. I you know, I was excited to listen and learn. Uh and I think there's, you know, there's a, a an important time to just be present and and take in what what you're hearing and just let it resonate and just be in your environment, be in your space. Uh so that's where I was today. Yeah, I'm Excited to learn about something because, again, this is a new platform for me. Uh, and Randy, you, we were joking earlier in the beginning. I still go to the wrong lobby, you know, because it's so much text and color. And I'm like, oh, what does it want? <laughs> <laughs> and then he moves me to the right space. But I got all the, the right things up and I do function on one screen. Mm-hmm. I've got everything on like it's hard. little little things. It's very hard. I don't it, I got it all. Yeah, I got a rhythm now. Um, but in the beginning it was hard. I couldn't read chat and I'm, I'm a little hard of, uh, my vision's a little off. So I have to like blow everything up to be able to see it. <laughs> like an old lady over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I'm, I'm so grateful for your knowledge, your wisdom, your expertise. And, you know, as a, a fellow clinician excited for what you do, excited to learn, from what you do. And, and I hope that chat hears what I'm saying, you know, as a clinician, I'm excited about this stuff. So I hope chat you're excited too. Um, and that you do check out, uh, Dr. Bean's work and, and, and whatnot. So, yeah. Well, you, sir, have been awesome. Thank you for joining us. Um, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me online. I am on Twitter of uh, at Video Game Doc. We also have a Geek Therapeutic. 
Uh, we're on Facebook at Geek Therapeutics, uh, our website, geektherapeutics.com. You basically search any social media for Geek Therapeutics, <laughs> you'll find us. Um, and we, we, we have uh, all that type of stuff um, up everywhere. And we, we post funny memes and stuff like that that our, our clients like to send us because it's really funny. Um, and they're a way of talking to each other. And so uh, it's a lot of stuff that other uh, clinicians tend to be like, I understand this on a way that I probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs>